Welcome to the show. Paul and Adam here talking art of living in the studio and it's freezing cold. Last week, the, the AC was broke or something and we were like sweating. I didn't say anything because I didn't want to. And then this week, I'm like, it's the opposite. I got the chills. Well, it works. They're multiplying. It's so hard to keep the temperature in that exact right zone, isn't it? Yeah. How are you? Great. How are you? Good. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for listening in, whether you're on the radio or on the podcast. It's good, man. Dude, it has been an absolute whirlwind for me. Oh, Just yeah? Just crazy. Yeah. I mean, talked a little bit last week. I was traveling and stuff like that. But really kind of the, the nutty thing in the middle of all this, in the middle of like school being in session and like work, yada, yada, we decided, well, it was decided that we were moving. Mm-hmm. Okay. So not like cities, but houses sort of cities but like same area like we're still mm-hmm. here like in in Lafayette but but anyway what we had to do was we had we had we sold our house bought a house and moved all in the same day like we had to be One out day. of our old house into the new house sleeping there all in the same day okay Dang. and it just it all happened so fast but we only knew like a few weeks ahead that this was actually going to go down mm-hmm. and um so we started kind of packing and getting rid of stuff and decluttering. I don't know if you've ever done that, mm-hmm. you know. I've, so we've moved many times, and every time you move, you kind of get rid of things and you realize how much you have. But you know, now that we, you know, we have five kids and, and we've been in this house for like seven years or whatever, and um, you know, every year I kind of go through this process where, I like, you know, I give stuff away, I, I declutter, you know, I minimize. But I'm just one person in a family, right? Yeah. <laughs> and and then I still ha- have things. But when you move, it's like, oh, no. Oh, yeah. You got to face the music. That- we, we have way more than what we need. Mm-hmm. Or we have things that we don't use, that we used to use. You know, maybe kids outgrow them or whatever. And then, like, you just have, like, then there's the archives, Maybe things that you've saved that have been passed on from family members. Like the George or, Museum. <laughs> it's in the attic, and you're like, what? I mean, I found I found a box of stuff from high school. Your high that school. we still had, yeah. Wow. That, you know, like, you know, my mom would save stuff mm-hmm. and, like, put it in a box, and then I'd say, and then it was like, how did this make it here? Like, I had no <laughs> idea it even had this. I found, like, you know, old, like, trophies or just different things. Anyway, it was like absolute craziness so we went through this whole process of like you know what do we give away what do we keep what do we sell mm-hmm. you know those mm-hmm. are kind of good things and um so you know we sold stuff that were of value that we you know gave away a ton. i can't even tell you how much we gave away right clothes the kids grew out of or just things we're not need we're downsizing houses and you know so this stuff that we didn't couldn't even fit or whatever. And, uh, but, but here was just the stuff. Here's what really got me. Okay. Was that, um, there was just stuff that we found that we were just like, man, I had no idea we had this. Really? Yeah. Don't know where this came from. Don't know where it came from. Don't know how we, <laughs> like, how, we had this? Like, you know, cause you, you're going through like closets and, you know, just, you know, sheds and attics. I don't know if you've been there or you found something and it's like, oh, I didn't even know we had this. We oh, yeah. don't need it. Like, who bought it? Who gave it to us? We're like, well, you know, what do we need? You yeah. Know? Well, we went through that with our house now because when we bought it, there was a lot of things left there. People you know? just left it. Because it was an older home. You guys kind of fixed up. Yeah. Right? And, 
Well, they, for example, like a, a bundle of zip ties in the drawer or <laughs> stuff like that. Right. So every once in a while, I find something like that that was hidden, and it's pretty exciting. Well, yeah, I kind of found that I have a I have a a tool fetish. Mm-hmm. So I save tools, and then I'll save like you know nuts and bolts, and I'm like, oh, I might need that one specific screw for something ten years down the road. And yes, and I, sometimes you do, and sometimes you do. But when you move, it's like, do I feel like moving that box of screws in the right. midst of all this? But anyway, I, you you kind of like unpack and uncover, you know, all this clutter that you don't need and you know what it made me realize is that it, it kind of when you detach and sell stuff or get rid of stuff or give away stuff it definitely begins to have um uh a reaction internally mm-hmm. i don't know if you've ever dealt with that oh yeah it's sort of like okay like there's some detachment happening not only externally there's some detachment happening internally Am I willing to get rid of this? I had to ask myself that question a lot. Yeah. Like, am I willing to let go of this house, this yard, uh, this tractor, you know, lawnmower, this barbecue pit, this, these tools? And, and here's the question I keep having to ask me. Am, am I willing to, to let go of this stuff, to detach myself from this stuff, right? And as I begin to ask myself those questions about things, it really got me thinking about things internally. Mm. Like how much clutter do I have inside of me that I hold on to? That over time, like I don't know that's there, that that um, that I really need to look at, right? And I you know, there I have a lot of conversations with people who come to see me. And one of the things I realize in my conversations with people is that there there's definitely sort of this this, you know, idea this realization that they're getting to know themselves better mm-hmm. in a sense of like why they do what they do or why they are who they are or why they believe what they believe and why they act the way they act and then there's this sort of this stopping point of well, where do I go from here right in dealing with the things that are inside of me mm-hmm. and what I find is that most people either a don't know how to do that b just pretend like those things are just normal normal part of their life and they just keep doing what they're doing um and so therefore they just just ignore them um or c uh they try to dig in and they don't know they don't know what to do with it yeah well and today today's uh memorial of saint francis of assisi mm-hmm. i think kind of typifies what you're talking about because one he detached from everything literally yeah but he faced interiorly um what needed to be faced and was willing to be very radical about it and I think one of the issues with why we don't face things is that we are afraid of what's going to be on the other side of dealing with it. Yeah. And we don't know what it's going to be. You know, for St. Francis, obviously there was some fear when he decided I'm not going to own anything and beg for my food every day. And mm-hmm. I've grown up as a, you know, a wealthy, spoiled little boy. But mm-hmm. now I'm going to rely on God for everything. I'm sure there was a lot of fear. Sure. What's going to be on the other side of this? Am I going to get leprosy, kicking the, kissing the leper? Maybe. I don't know. And for a lot of us, it's like, hey, if I really talk to my spouse about this thing that we know is both bothering us, what's going to be on the other side of it? I don't know. Mm-hmm. So I'd rather just not not go. You right. Know? But there's a freedom to trust in God on the level of, I don't know what this is going to bring, but I know you're asking me to do it. And that's what St. Francis found, you know, that when he was doing his father's will, 
it was a source of overcoming that fear of not knowing the outcome of dealing with whatever internally. Um, and so for us, is it is dealing with this kind of like an extra thing in my life, or is it what God is actually asking me to do? Because yeah. if it's what God's asking me to do, I can't say no. So it's not even about a question as much as it is about a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So like the nature of God is is detachment. Like the nature of God is dealing with things. The nature of God is letting go. So when Jesus says that I have no place to lay my head, you know, the son of God has this mm-hmm. nowhere to call his home. Uh, like if we really think about that, like, like, like let's just think about that. Uh, Jesus was constantly, you could say moving. Okay. A transient, you he know, so homeless. Right. So he, he, uh, you know, I just experienced the move, but, uh, in a lot of ways, detaching, selling, getting rid, giving away, uh, Jesus, in the in the spiritual realm and even physically, right, like, but in the spiritual realm, like he's constantly moving, and mm-hmm. in relationship with him, uh, God is asking us to constantly uh, move. And what I mean, move is is not like, like, um, you, you know, like, like just like walking away. What I mean by move is like change. The, the idea yeah. of detachment, giving away, um, not not being consumed by the world. Um, and things, and so the nature of God is is not so much, um, you know, the question of should I. It the question the the idea is if you're in relationship with it, this is sort of a way of living, right? Mm-hmm. And the idea that internally we should always be asking the question, um, um, you know, what what am I what what should I keep? What should I give away? What should I sell? You know, what am I faced with in the move today? that God's asking me to deal with, he's never not asking us to ask that question. Yeah, because he's always saying something new. And that newness brings about a movement or a change or a detachment every single time. And in fact, the better we get at it, the higher stakes what he's asking us to do or change or move it's going to be. You know, like if at first it's little things, you know, when we start changing our life, it's like things like giving up sin or you know, giving up this or that, and we know God's asking us. But as we start to feed that discipleship and start to really follow him, he'll trust us with bigger things. And that that's when it can get scary. Yeah. No, no, and I think, you know, you bring up scary, fear. We've talked about that. But in regards to this, I think, you know, people say, well, you know, I'm this way, I'm, you know, I'm insecure or, you know, I'm controlling or, I'm, uh, you know, I'm this or I'm that. But I think at the... At the the root of that is this just this fear of change this fear of what would my life look like without this or if mm-hmm. people knew this about me or if my spouse knew and so that fear keeps us trapped into just um living the old way instead of the new self that god's calling us to so this is gonna be a great conversation that we're going to get into today um and uh so good to be with you we'll be right back The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your healthcare cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org.
Welcome back to the show, Paul and Adam, right here, talking uh, the art of detachment. Uh, but really more than that. Facing your stuff. Yeah. And this is coming out of, you know, the move that I have, but a lot of conversations I'm having with people. Um, and, you know, it's just real interesting because I think there is a fear that that creeps in when we think of facing things, right? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, or, you know, ways that, that, that we do things. You know, marriage just has this way of kind of revealing those things things in our lives that we need to either detach from, deal with, let go of, change, you mm-hmm. know? I find a lot of times, you know, people who are single for a long time, unless they're like super, super intentional about it, they kind of avoid those, even unknowingly, maybe even subconsciously avoid, you know, because they don't have to really kind of come head to head, yeah, you know, in, in a relationship with someone. But, you know, when you get in an intimate relationship, you get married, things like that, it, it really kind of brings to the surface those things. And and then I find like even for people who are married, um, it's kind of like they just they kind of like I had a <laughs> for instance you know like uh, you know every holiday my my wife and I fight at this holiday she should just know that like <laughs> I just do this and she does that and we just fight and I'm thinking but you don't have to right that's like, not a given you you can actually change whatever's causing you to fight every holiday at that time where you're just like, no, it's just the way we do it, right? Yeah. And there is certain things in our lives, like you're always going to have certain quirks about you. I'm going to have certain quirks, my wife, you know, like that are just like unique to my personality or my experience of life that are just like, you know, Paul's just a little OCD about where he wants things, you know? Those aren't necessarily deal breakers, right? We're talking about like real like, you know, emotional, real you know, patterns of behavior, even sinful acts, uh, um, habits, um, lack of virtue that, that really get in the way of us being who Jesus is calling us to be. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and when those things come to surface, it's like, okay, either I have an opportunity to, to deal with it or pretend like it's not there, you know, and, you know, marriage kind of brings that to the surface and we all come to that realization of like, oh yeah, this is probably something we need to deal with. I need to deal with it. Right. And or it's just always going to be there. Well, and dealing with things is a is a skill because you learn that there's a <clears throat> there's kind of a meta process. Like the, every issue is different. You know, like if I have an anger issue, if if I have, um, you know, sadness or depression, like or if I, I argue too much with my spouse or my kids or whatever, like every issue is different. But dealing with issues kind of follows a similar process each time. Right. Like, yeah. you it's not like you reinvent the wheel every time. And the thing is, if I'm not skilled at that process yeah. of dealing with things, I'm going to have zero confidence in dealing with whatever I need to deal with. But we can gain that confidence if we start to get a handle on, look, when there are conflicts, when there are um, issues within you that you notice, vices that you have, or temperamental issues that are getting in the way, here's how people deal with those things. Mm-hmm we gain a confidence to deal with them. And so we, we're more likely to to stare those things in the face than run from them. Yeah, and our confidence ultimately has to lie in Jesus and our understanding that he's gonna, he loves me no matter what, right? Mm-hmm. He wants me to move forward. He doesn't want me to sit in the dysfunction. He wants me to move forward, but he loves me even still, right? He wants to walk with me. And, you know, you mentioned St. Francis in, in the first segment and his story is amazing if, if people don't know his story read about it but he um 
he didn't go at it alone. Like he had mm -hmm. friends and companions and followers, you know, it's like, Hey, you guys want to live this life with me together, right? This life of detachment and this life of being radical for the Lord and in, in this specific way that he's calling. And so it wasn't like, you know, he, he, he went at it alone. And I think oftentimes like we feel so alone in our behavior or our sin or our brokenness or, you know, our past or our regret or, the things that have happened to us in our life. And therefore, in that aloneness, you know, makes us feel like no one really understands me or knows what I'm dealing with or would ever understand. And that's, that's the lie of the enemy that just wants to keep us isolated in it. And when we're isolated in that, we basically just stay hidden in the behavior, right? Yeah. Instead of getting to it. You know, so, so we basically have like, you know, um, you ever heard of like paying off debt, like the best way to pay off debt? So if you got debt, like money, you know, if you think about money uh, and all the things that, that money pays for, but then you think about your debt and then you think about your biggest debt to smallest debt to smallest debt. It's sort of like a snow cone. It kind of gets in. And, and what they say is like a lot of times people get defeated because they want to pay off the highest part of their debt first, but they just get so like discouraged mm -hmm. that they just stop paint it off. And what they say is flip the cone upside down and the the big part is at the bottom and the, and the skinny part of the cone is at the top. Start with the small part. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, oh, I just paid off that $50 debt and that's knocked off. And then, oh, I just paid off that, you know, $1,000 credit card. And now, now see it. Now you're knocking off pieces. You feel like, okay, I'm making progress. Like you said, right. Mm -hmm. um, and then you get to, you start getting to that bottom portion which may seem bigger and heavier, but you've knocked off the top portion and you start feeling the the weight coming off. Yep. Right? And uh, and then it becomes manageable. The debt becomes manageable and you start knocking it out over time. It's sort of that way in our in our life of sin or brokenness or uh, behavioral issues or you know it is that oftentimes we feel so defeated when we have this big issue that we can't get to. And so we just, uh, I'm just like this. I'm not going to mm -hmm. deal with it. And instead of flipping it off, it's like, okay, one thing at a time, the Lord's just calling me to, you know, deal with one thing at a time. I'm making progress. And ultimately I think if, if we just realize that we're imperfect and it's sort of like a lifelong journey of moving quote unquote, right? Mm -hmm. Like we're never settled. Like we're never like, you know, I'm going to move in this home and yeah, I'm going to live there. But in the spiritual life, like we're constantly moving. Like, let's go back to that constantly knocking off pieces of the snow cone, moving forward into who God wants us to be. No, I love the anal analogy because it's a hundred percent on point. I mean, the growth in virtue, growth in character, growth in mental health, growth in emotional health, healing, healing, like all of that is taking steps on a longer journey. Like it's not, it's never something you do in a month or a year, but if you never do it, if you never get started, like you can't, you can't go for it. And then I think that's why like people like St. Thomas Aquinas would say, when you grow in one virtue, you grow in all of them. Mm -hmm. And we obsess over the big problem. Right. And that's what discourages and defeated us. Big problem with our spouse, big problem with our boss, big problem with our whatever. Right. <clears throat> but there's a whole bunch of little victories that could take place maybe not even related to that problem, right. but in that area, with that person, with in, in the workplace, like all these little victories we could have. 
And if you grow in any virtue, you're growing in all of them. Right. You know, if you're restoring health in one area of your life, you're restoring health to the whole area. Mm-hmm. You know, like your health belongs to the whole person, to the whole family, to the whole workplace. Um, and so you're right. Like we get so discouraged and think the monster is so big. But if we if we do those little steps, they make a huge impact. Yeah. Often, you know, we talk about this in, in marriage, but it's really in the context of all of us is that, you know, we have these surface issues. Um, those surface issues are just kind of up there. You know, am I, you know, do I work hard? Do I, you know, am, you know, do I, you know, show up on time? Am I, you know, am I a good friend? You know, am I not? Am I, and, and those are just surfaces. Okay. I go. And then there's, and then there's underlying issues, right? I mean, um, critical issues, right? Or next. And those critical issues are, are super important for us to deal with, you know, finances, uh, sexuality, uh, spirituality, um, you know, parenting, you know, all, all these, they're critical issues that I really am trying to work on. But in, it's in those critical issues that we really kind of hit walls, right? And mm-hmm. sexuality, our spirituality, our, you know, relationship with our spouse, parenting, you know, our finances, our communication, right? And we're like, why don't I communicate well? And, you know, it's like, oh, I'll just try to work on that. And and then ultimately, like, at, at the big part of that snow cone that we get to is, is you know, what we call is underlying issues. Mm-hmm. Like, what are the issues underlying that are causing these critical issues to flare up, right? That, that's, the, that's the place that we need to get to. That's the place that we need to deal with. And that's what moving, when we move, it's like this is what happens is we find all this stuff we didn't know we had that we need to look at and be like, why did I accumulate all this clutter? And what do I need to do with it? Give it away, sell it, or keep it, right? Mm-hmm. And in the spiritual life, it's the same way. What are those underlying issues that are there that maybe we haven't looked at, maybe we haven't faced, maybe we didn't realize subconsciously that they're there, but it's like, yeah, maybe my sexuality is off. Maybe I have an addiction there or a sinful behavior, and it's like oftentimes we just want to go at that, and that's true. We need to get – but what's the root cause there? What's the mm-hmm. underlying issue that that keeps moving you to have a disordered view of your sexuality or – of sin or in communication or your finances, your overspender or your oversaver or your you constantly are stressed and anxious or you know you're dealing with depression and anxiety and fear like there's things under there that the Lord wants to get to right yeah. and the good news is there's not 25 of those things for the vast majority of us it's one maybe two well and, right and and say there are 25 mm-hmm. Jesus only wants you to deal with one at a time right right you know like <laughs> like and that's the good news is like the, the patient loving God of the universe says let me love you right here in this mm-hmm. and and move you forward in it yeah but I mean it's it's a specific you know like the spiritual Masters call it a dominant fault, right? It's a specific character defect that is causing most of my issues, but it's it's not vague. So it's not like I'm a jerk or I'm selfish or I'm. That's never if if that's how we think about ourselves, we don't know ourselves well enough. But let's get to that because mm-hmm. I think we do that. 
Okay. I think on the the critical issue, we kind of do label ourselves. Mm-hmm. We label ourselves. You know, I'm controlling. I'm fearful. Um, I'm a jerk. Um, I, uh, you know, I'm an angry person. I'm or jealous, I'm, I'm impatient. Or, I'm mm-hmm. jealous. Um, I don't communicate well. Um, you know, I don't focus well. I, you know, we we do label ourselves. Yep. Okay. And and then you take those labels, and then you and I get in an argument, or we we have an interaction, and then I have this flare up. And I just say, well, that's just the way I am. Right. I'm just a jerk or I'm just get angry or I just do this and that's just who I am. In part, we can get away with that if other people allow us to. But yeah. in a marriage, like it, it just it all comes to, to the head. And in and in really good friendships it does too. Mm-hmm. And then it causes us to have to think of, well, why am I that way? Why do I act that way? Yeah. That's the important question. And there's some cool scriptures um, that I want to get to in the Gospels that, you know, it's not like Jesus, you know, ignored this stuff. Like, this is, this is why he came, like, to seek and save the lost. Like, the divine physician came to heal, mm-hmm. like, right, to save us from what? Our sin, right? Not mm-hmm. from, he didn't come to save us from you know, like, you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> Monsters. Monsters, yeah, zombies. Aliens, zombies. Exactly. <laughs> you know, like, he came to save us from our brokenness. So let's just get real about that. Mm. Like, Jesus didn't play around when he came. He came to die for our, our sin, our dysfunction, our brokenness, our behavior, so that we could be healed, the divine physician. We can move forward. We can be who he's asking us to be. And uh, we... Many people know that the the scripture of the woman caught in adultery, right? Mm-hmm. And um, you know, a lot of theologians break open this passage in many different ways, but the scripture tells us that she was caught in the act of adultery. So the you know the Pharisees, you know, whichever, like what were they doing? But they caught her in the act of adultery, drug her out in the middle of the street, right? And we're going to stone her to death. Jesus happens to be on the scene, right? And the, and they pull him in on the scene and say, you know, you know, what should we do? Yeah. What, what should we do? And, you know, the law tells us to stone this woman, you know, and, you know, she's caught in the act of adultery. Either she didn't have clothes on or she, you know, she grabbed a, a sheet and put it around her. So she's very vulnerable in this moment, standing around a bunch of men. Right. Mm. Um, and a woman at that time in history was looked down upon. They were less than, and not only that, like here she was caught in, in sin. Right. And, of course, we know Jesus is like, those of you who, you know, have no sin, cast the first stone, right? Like, we're all sinners. Like, she just got caught in a specific sin and a very vulnerable sin. And then you just think that the story is just about them. Like, hey, don't cast the stone because you're sinners too. They drop the stone and they walk away. But, like, Jesus in that moment is kneeling down and he's writing things in the ground. And he's next to this woman, right? And... There's sort of this all this theological speculation of like what was the conversation? What was he writing in in the dirt? Right? Mm-hmm. You have any ideas? Well, there's a few good ones. I mean, one would be people's sins, like just listen out sins, or yeah, so people can look at him like, oh yeah, I did that, <laughs> I did that, and they walk away. Wouldn't that be amazing? Yeah. Right. What do you think? Well, I mean, that's one of the you know theological you know you know sort of studies is that you know he's writing sins some you know he was, could have been writing scripture mm-hmm. um down you know specific scriptures that they would have known um some 
you know, you can take it even more contemporary. So, so there, there's no way we know. It doesn't say exactly what right. written down. Uh, he could have been writing her name, mm-hmm. you know, like in the. But what we do know is that what he was writing was drawing attention to what he was writing away from her mm-hmm. and her vulnerability and her sin. And then they walked away. And then what happens? He didn't walk away. He stayed. He stayed right there in the, in the midst of her vulnerability, brokenness, and sin. I think we need to sit there for a moment and realize that wherever we are in life, in our brokenness, vulnerability, and sin, Jesus stays with us, right? And then he has a conversation. Now, we only get a snippet of that conversation. That conversation could have been longer. We don't know, right? Mm-hmm. There's stuff that we don't know there. Uh, but we do know is that he looks at her and says, you know, have they condemned you? N- no, Lord, they haven't. Uh, well, go and sin no more. Like, do something different. Move. Move. Make change. Detach from your old way of living. Look at why you were doing what you were doing and make changes in your life. Or you Can you do that? And, I, I mean, I can't imagine that that woman's conversion experience um, wasn't really much different than all of ours in a sense of the question that Jesus asked her, right? Mm-hmm. Go and sin no more. Make a change in this area of your life, and I'm going to be with you in your vulnerability. Yeah. I think we want to avoid that gaze of Jesus. It's uncomfortable. I mean, one, of, one of the most beautiful ways to meditate and reflect on the Gospels is to think, how did Jesus' face look at a given time? Whether mm-hmm. it's healing people or arguing with Pharisees or like what was, what did he look like? Because when I mean, when you look at someone's eyes, like you, you know, you you're looking into them. So I mean, in that moment, she had to look up at him. I remember that scene from the Passion, Mel Gibson's Passion, where they depict this moment, and she does look up at him, and he looks back. Um, a lot of us just don't want to look at Jesus in that moment, the moment of failure, humiliation, whatever. But, and back to your point when you brought this up, was that's where we find out who we really are. Because she she went there an adulterer in her mind, but she left mm-hmm. a disciple. Yeah, And that's what, in that moment, we find out who we really are. We're not selfish. We're not a jerk. We're not, we, we have character defects, but we are loved by God. Mm-hmm. We're his son. We're his daughter. And then if we're a disciple of Jesus Christ, there's a, that's our identity. That's our dignity. That's that's everything, right? And that disciple can have shortcomings. That disciple has character defects. That disciple has big issues probably, right? But that's not who that disciple is. Right. And separating those two, and I think Jesus gave her back her identity, her dignity, and said, you are someone who can stop sinning. You can be different, mm-hmm. right? You can make a change in this area. And for those of you, including myself, who... you you've dealt with this or you've dealing with something, maybe even right now, maybe it seems huge to you. Like it's possible. Like Jesus can walk with you in it, you know, and through it, you know, and not only did she make change, but, um, it, Jesus made it possible. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And he had to invade and he did like he, he, went into her life. She did not wake up that morning saying, I'd like Jesus in my life today. Right. It happened because the Lord providentially invaded her life. And this is what grace is like. And it comes in, in many different ways. Like right now you're driving home or you're working out, you're listening to a podcast, whatever. And God might be using this moment as a way to invade. Yeah. Oh. And, and the only way to, 
is to invite Jesus into your moments, mm-hmm. right? But I want to get back to your point. You make a great point about the face of Jesus, the gaze. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the majority of communication is facial expression. Like it's body movement. It's actually not words. Uh, think about that. Um, so in the in the human sense, like we get what people are saying a lot by how they're saying it mm-hmm. and then what they look like when they're saying it. So it's like how you say things and what you look like when you say in it says more than the actual words that you say. Yeah. Okay. So I can say, I'm sorry, Adam, but if I have a look on my face, like I'm smiling, like, I'm sorry, man. You know, <laughs> you're like, dude, you don't even really mean that. You've done that so many times. Okay. <laughs> so just here, here's the thing is, you know, I know that there's times where my face will tell my kids that I'm disappointed in them, even though I say I'm not. Mm-hmm. Like my facial expression is like, man, really? That's our brokenness. Like, I, like we we want to express love, and sometimes it's just it it it's half hearted, right? Although we mean it. Like, here and here's what happens: we get older, and we don't even know we do this. Is we project what we think Jesus is feeling about us. Oh yeah, by our own guilt. Oh yeah. Oh, he must be so ashamed of me, or he would look at me this way, or. You know, like face of Rolling disgust eyes, or shame or roll of eyes. Yeah, think about it. Mm. You know, so we project by the way we feel how God looks at us. The reality is that he doesn't change his expression. You know, like God doesn't. He, Jesus is like, think, think about that. Like, mm. like he's He's not going to change his, his loving gaze because of what we do. but Because he's not human, right? He's God, right? But we project our human experience and our our human guilt and fear and shame on what we think he might think or about us. Yeah, and we think we can surprise him sometimes of how bad we are, you know, like because we've surprised others, our spouses, our children, our coworkers, our friends. Like we've really shocked people with our bad behavior, right? <laughs> like we've all been there. <laughs> But we cannot surprise Jesus. No, no, he's just he knows ahead. everything that's coming. By the way, <laughs> he knows he knows the goodness in us that we can't see in those moments. He sees all of that, and he's not going to be shocked. Yeah. And so he, we don't have a look of disappointment or surprise on the look of, on the face of Jesus. I think the scribes and Pharisees they got a stern face, but it wasn't a face of I can't believe how awful you are. It was probably a, a stern kind of love. Mm-hmm. That came out of his mouth and, and on his face, and it, it was enough for them to to walk away from a a law and a covenant that they believed in. Mm-hmm. Like, think about that. Yeah, and not all the Pharisees re- rejected Jesus. No, no, no. Remember no. that. Like the the same face, the same Jesus converted some and did others. And so I bring this up because for us, it's impossible for Jesus to look at us without love, but. How he looks at us will, in some ways, be dependent in hundred percent of the ways, be dependent on what we need in that moment to follow him. Right, but we can't project what we think he thinks of us based on the way I feel. No, in in fact, like I can't say like the Lord must be disappointed in me or like yeah. In yeah. fact, the definition of conversion is that I let him look at me the way he actually looks at me, and not the way I want him to look at me. Because if I keep putting my face on Jesus's face, I won't change. <laughs> no, absolutely. So if I'm willing to say, you know what, Lord, just love me the way you really want to love me, like that is the first step of conversion. Yeah, and you know, I've heard, you know, even pe- spiritual counselors even kind of make this point is that we 
that we can often project our human experience of love or our human experience of our relationship with our parents, our father, our mother, and project that experience on to God. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, I had a bad relationship with my father, therefore God the Father doesn't love me, right? Mm-hmm. Subconsciously, like, we sort of make those connections. And it's interesting. You know, that point is very interesting because I think in the in the human experience, our experience is real, right? And our feelings are real, right? Like, the way I feel is neither right or wrong. It's the way I feel. It's based on a, an experience. It could be based on a trauma. It could be based on something that's happened to me or done to me. It, you know, a lot of things in our life aren't choices that we made or maybe choices that were made upon us, right? And so oftentimes we base those emotions and feelings and we project those onto God. God can take anything that we have. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing is that we can project all we want, but it doesn't change, as you say, his his gaze for us, his his compassion and love for us. And when we can get past that, then we can just embrace where we are, allow God to love us and move forward. Here's another interesting scripture for those of you listening and maybe you know you're thinking, you know, I've I've been praying about the same thing for so long. I've just given up, right? I don't know if you've ever done that. Like, man, if I if you know this it just never goes away. Um and there's a scripture, and I laugh at it sometimes, but it really resonates with me. It's, you know, Jesus had a uh, affinity for blind people in scripture, right? <laughs> and um, he's really good at healing people who mm. were blind and healing other people. Uh, he was good at that too. But um, <laughs> there's this one scripture in blind man. He's praying for the blind man, and, and uh, you know, he pulls him out outside of the city, and and he and he and he's praying for him, and he says, well, "What do you see?" And the, and the blind man, you know, you're thinking like, well, now he can see Jesus pray for him. And the blind man says, well, you know, I see people and they look like trees, mm-hmm. right? Like things are blurry. Mm-hmm. Like they don't make out, but I can see better than I could. I could see a little bit, but the people are blurry. They look like trees or whatever the case may be, right? And then you think, oh, well, that's better than what it was. So just live the life of blur. Mm. You know, you'll get around. <laughs> and I, I do I do think that oftentimes we sort of subscribe to that type of spirituality or relationship oh, yeah. with Jesus. is like, I'm just going to get by. It's blurry, but I can see yeah. enough. Yeah. Right? Hopefully I'll get into purgatory. Hopefully and... I'll squeeze into purgatory, <laughs> barely make it into heaven or whatever the case may be. Um, and there's that's not the climax to the story. Like, there's a comma there and, and then a, a continuation and you're like, Oh, what's going to happen? And this is, you know, and Jesus prayed for him again. And how does that, I don't know why that makes me laugh. Cause it's like, like his prayer didn't work the first time. Right. And I think, well, okay. How about me? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things that didn't work the first time. <laughs> there's gradual growth. Right. Right. There's things where it's like, okay, I see a little bit clearer. I'm over the hump a little bit more, but definitely still blurry. Right, mm-hmm. but I can't quit. I can't. I can't stop. Like God wants me to see clearly. He says Jesus prayed for him again and says, "Now, now, what do you see?" And he says, I, "You know, I can see clearly." And I and I, I think about that as like the patience of the Lord. Like He could have just said, "Dude, I prayed for you once." There's a lot of other people. <laughs> you have to get back in line. I gotta get. I, I gotta get. I got other things to do. Like I can't be praying for you twice. Mm. Right, but the patience of the Lord was like, no, 
Let's do this again. Because it wasn't, it wasn't Jesus' lack of prayer that didn't heal him. It was just that, you know, maybe it's a lot like his lack of faith, or it could have just been like, no, nah, like I just, it's gradual. Yeah. Like healing is gradual. Like moving is gradual. Packing boxes, detachment, letting go, um, selling things. Um, it's gradual. Like we can't just think that we're going to completely and totally, you know, make change overnight. It's gradual, but we can't also subscribe to it being blurry. Well, and I think that's most of us, you know, because we, for example, we decide, you know what, I'm going to deal with this. I'm going to deal with my anger. I'm going to deal with my lust. I'm going to deal with my greed. Like, pick your capital sin. That's mine. I'm going to deal with it, right? So, and we start, we read a book or a third of a book, and we have one conversation with a friend or a counselor, and we... And then we're like, man, that was so much better. I feel, okay, I'm done. <laughs> like, I'm done. Like, that's it. <laughs> I did what I had to do. So we see a little bit, we see it at all. You know, like, it's still blurry. And we're like, this is awesome. Let me just live like this. Um, and then we get discouraged when we just go right back to where we were. We have that big fight again. And then we give up on it. Like, well, I tried talking to a counselor. I tried talking to whatever. I did all of that. I tried praying. I tried and, praying. And people do that. I tried. I tried praying. going on retreat. Yeah. I I tried all those things, and and then the the friend who's a good friend who's trying to tell us these things, like, hey, you really need to go do this. Like, we think they don't understand. You don't understand. I've done all those things. Right. This is just my life now. I'm just I'm a jerk. I'm a whatever. <laughs> like you just don't get it. Right. It's not like it's like. Are you worse off for going on a retreat? No. Are you a little bit better? Yeah. I'm not where I need to be, so I'm going to give up. Really? Mm. You see what I'm saying? So I think oftentimes we think that since it, it wasn't immediate results or change, then nothing happened. Mm-hmm. And that's just, you know, that's a lie, right? Like, so if I look at my life and I, and I look to the past and where I am now, like I never, it's like, oh, there's, there was, there's so many things that were gradual. Yeah. So many things that were gradual. And, and there still are, right? Still are that, that, you know, there are people that look like trees, things are blurry. (laughs) And it's like, um, either I, then I can either ignore that and just live with, oh, this is just the way I am, but, but I can see a little bit, or I can keep pressing in with the Lord and, and let him know, let him remind me that, Hey, this is a, this is moving's gradual, detachment's gradual, healing's gradual, letting go of sin's gradual. Learning virtue is gradual. Mm-hmm. Uh, being better is gradual. It's not going to happen overnight. It's a process. Why? Because it's a relationship. So I'm guarantee, probably guarantee that that your relationship with your spouse ha- has taken a lot of work, but you're much better off, more loving ten years later than you were the first year. Right? Why? Because it's it's this gradual growing in love together. But it takes work. It does. And I think you know if we if we get into a place now listening to this that you know what, I do want to deal with that thing I don't want to deal with now. Like, I want to face it. I want to look Jesus in the face, and I want all this to happen. There's a there's a temptation to kind of over, I don't want to say over-spiritualize, because you can't. That's like saying over-breathing, right? But what I do mean is to replace what Jesus is actually telling me with some, like, fairy tale idea of, mm-hmm. what, he's, of what he's telling me. Right. So, for example, I just need to visit the chapel once a week and pray about this, and, like, great things will happen. Yeah, great things will happen, but that might not necessarily be what he's telling you to do. Right. 
that's something you came up with and that's something manageable for you. Like I can do this. And what you're really saying is I'm going to do a little bit and then other people are going to have to change a lot or God's going to have to do a lot of things, but I'm going to do this little bit that I think I can do. And so that's why I think the first step in really dealing with these things is a lot of listening. Yeah. Like don't start acting just yet, but listen, listen to God in prayer Listen to friends that know what they're talking about. And look, especially if, if there's a mortal sin in your life that comes up more than once. Like once, okay, there's a fluke, you messed up, whatever. But there's, if there's a habitual situation it's a pattern. that's affecting your life, you have to let another human being who's outside that situation know about it. Yeah. And tell that person you want to change because they can help you. If you don't, you'll keep doing it. Yep. Just like St. Francis, pull people in to yeah. your journey because it's important. All right. We'll be right back. It's falling out. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your healthcare cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show. Paul and Adam talking the art of dealing with it. Dealing with it. It's like this and like that and like Deal this and uh, all these 80 tunes come into my head when we're recording. I don't it's know. your life soundtrack. It really is. It really is. It's better than have a 90s soundtrack. That's true. It is. Although I know 90s tunes. Yeah, there's some good 90s music, but if I had to pick, it would be an 80s soundtrack. <laughs> Although you grew up in the 90s. Right. Like I had a 90s soundtrack for a long time and then I saw the light. So, so I was blinded one of the, by the light. One of the clutter things that you we found i found was uh, a box of records like actual honest to god records vinyl. actual honest to god vinyl records how old are you <laughs> oh gosh <laughs> i had a record player growing up that's awesome and then an a track and then cassette tape and then cd i've been through it all wow um and so part of me is like oh, i want to keep these vinyl records well i don't have a record player <laughs> and then i could go and buy one it's like but why just for nostalgia, but I would mm -hmm. never play it. So I actually went to a pawn shop, okay, with the stuff and some other things. And um, the guy was like, man, these are these are really good. I can't <laughs> believe you have these. And uh, I said, well, I don't know what to do with them because I can't play them. I want to keep them, but what am I going to do with them? I need, it's like, I need to detach from it. I need to let it go. But these are memories from my childhood and whatever. And, uh, but there were like bands like Aerosmith and mm -hmm. Chicago and Pink Floyd and just like really great records. Like it was, these were like known records that they're, they're, they're original vinyl. Wow. Yeah. Dude. Three bucks. That's what he gave you for it? Uh, and I was like, Lord. And he's like, and I was like, yeah, you, you can have, it's like, I just, there are things that are like really like a part of your life that letting go is hard. Like I'm mm -hmm. not, I'm not joking. All right. So we're going to do a six pack of just eighties letting go. <laughs> Question. All right. 
So, uh, <laughs> six packs of 80s letting go. Yeah, that was good. All right, well, I'm going to preface each question with a, a, a song title from the 80s. How okay, about that? That's good. Paul, we live in a material world. <laughs> a material. And um, that can often be really distracting for dealing with stuff. Yeah. So, for example, hey, instead of dealing with this thing with my uh, spouse or friend, I'm going to go off and hang out with other people that, you know, let's, I'll go play golf, I'll go to the bar. Like, I'm going to fill my life with stuff mm-hmm. that keeps me from dealing with my stuff. So, question number one. That's a good question. Um, what, how do you identify that you're doing this? Because you don't yeah. really realize you're doing it. How do you identify that you're someone who's doing this, filling your life with stuff so that you don't have to deal with your problems? So, I would say if if your hobby and and your your getaway feeds your soul to become better, then it's probably good for you in check in balance in in time and you know does it not take too much away from your vocation your job your spouse but it, is it feeding your soul so you become better then it's good if it's a getaway so you can ignore the issues in your life and they're just snowballing and you're just like no nah, i'm just gonna go and i'm gonna drink and i'm gonna forget and on monday i'm just gonna pretend like it's not there then it's probably a hideaway instead of a getaway all right so Paul, before I go here, I before I go again on my own. This is good. You're good. All right. Um, I want to talk to you about feeling lonely because this is you can have a lot of people in your life and feel lonely, mm-hmm. and that loneliness, I don't know. In my experience, it's never been a helpful place to actually deal with things. Yeah. Because it's a very painful place. Right. I could be married. I could have 28 kids. I could have a job with less coworkers, but I could feel alone. So talk to me about. Like what this experience of loneliness is like, and like how do we get out of it? Well, it we feel lonely doesn't mean that we are right, but our we think our feelings are very unique. No one else can feel that way or has experienced what we experience, and so therefore we isolate ourselves. So sometimes we have to just think logically about this: is that um, you know there are other people in our life, other people that we know. Everybody's hurting and imperfect. And it's really important for us to find people that we can trust, that we can be vulnerable with and be like, hey, I'm struggling with this, or this is how I'm feeling. And people who can really empathize with us, be like, yeah, I haven't been through that, but man, I love you. And I know and I know how that feels in some way, shape, or form in my life. So whether it be good friendships that help you, uh, or a counselor, or a mentor, or coach, but it has to be people who you're willing to be honest with who can help you move forward. Love it. Sometimes the people in our life just spend us right round. I mean, baby, right round, like right a record round, player. Baby, right round. Yep. Sometimes that happens. Yep. And we think that they're keeping us from dealing with our stuff. So yep. like, yeah, I'd, I'd deal with my stuff if they ever did, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, like we think people hold us back. So talk to me a little bit about, about that dynamic. I mean, is that true sometimes? Like, can I, people keep us from being better? Yeah, no, I think we could just, we can sort of get friendships where we're comfortable. We just allow each other to just not grow. You know, and it's just like, oh, I'm just a complete mess. We're a complete mess, and we're doing nothing about it. Um, and those are friendships that I just say would be acquaintances. You, you need to find better friends who really help you. Um, be a trailblazer. Be one that grows. And then other people might follow. Be like, oh, man, like he's really working on his marriage, or she's really you know, making progress. And like, I want to do that too. What are you doing? So sometimes it just takes somebody to take some steps forward. All right, question number four. Let's say I want to start with the man in the mirror. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is good. Um, 
but I don't want to look in the mirror. Like it's hard for me to like be honest. Usually this manifests that maybe I don't like going to confession. Maybe mm-hmm. I don't like talking to people about my problems or my issues and I just keep it all in. So what would you say? I mean, how do you help people deal with that? Like actually look in the mirror and uh, take a look at themselves and make a change. Well, that's good because I think uh, <laughs> I think one of the one of our tendencies is that, particularly in relationships, when we fight, we want to totally make it about the other person. And the majority of the time, it's really about us. Like, what is it in me that keeps fighting or bringing this up? Or you know, what is my feeling? Where is my brokenness? My wound? My experience? That's where we honestly have to look in the mirror and be like, okay, Lord, like, what is it about me that you're asking me to deal with? work on, uh, bring healing to. And so I always say like, even in my own life, it's like issues are coming up or, and I want to make it about other people or my spouse or my kids. I need to make it about me. What is it bringing up in me that I need to deal with? Question number five. I know this much is true (laughs) that we need truth in our life. Right. Yeah. So to deal with anything, it has to be done in reality. Yeah. But getting out of our own head is very difficult. So you got to talk to me about, you know, how to how to use scriptures, how to use just the truth that God has given us that surrounds us to actually get out of our own way of looking at things and and what we think is true, and then find what is actually yeah, true. yeah. Truth isn't subjective. Like we don't make up our own truth. We're not, you know, that's relativism, right? Like we can just determine, make it up, and live by it. A lot of people do that, even spiritually. You know, oh Jesus was telling me to do this, and I'm just going to kind of make up and interpret for myself what the truth is. And that can really cause a lot of trouble, you know, for us, because we really don't move forward. We just feel better, but we're really not better, right? And so getting really to the truth is, one, is like um, knowing that the truth is real, it's reality, it's objective, and that the church helps us interpret that truth, too. You know, what is Jesus saying? Well, I can't just make it up. Like, what is he actually saying? I need to study that, ask people, ask someone who studied that, a theologian, priest, you know, pastor, whatever. Um, and, and just really make sure that that the truth that we're subscribing to is, is the truth of Jesus, right, and mm-hmm. the church. And so it keeps us, what it does is it keeps us, um, it's like guardrails, it kind of keeps us on the road, you know, instead of flying off the road, just saying, oh, I'm just going to take a right turn. So many people do that, misinterpret, and do their own thing, and then it causes more damage down the road. Mm. All right, question number six. You know, they say every rose has its thorn. <laughs> this is good. But when, good. We, uh, when we see that we have actual defects in our, in our personality, yeah. like we tend to focus just on the thorn, sure. right? just on the thing that's wrong, and um, we just get stuck. Like we can't mm-hmm. move on because we don't know who we really are. So just talk to me, maybe a top do and don't, like, as a person with defects, to be happy. Can you still be happy? What's a top do for still being happy as an imperfect person well, and a top don't? A top don't is this, is that the enemy, the devil is really, he wants us to identify with our sin. That's how he wants us to identify, with the thorn, with our dysfunction. God wants us to identify with who we are, right, uh, as, as his son and daughter, Right. So, so stop identifying with the things that are negative about you or your mistakes and identify with who God created you to be. And just know that you're, you're never going to be perfect. Like 
even St. Paul talked about the thorn in his side, but he had so many great qualities in pursuing sainthood and, and doing the, the things that God was asking him to do and focus on those things and just know that like at the end of the day, there's going to be things in your life that are going to keep you humble and relying on Jesus. Because if we were perfect, guess what? We wouldn't need God. And the reality is we all need Jesus. Every one of us, hands down, need God. We need his saving grace through the power of his son, Jesus, to be the best that we can be uh, in this life. So, dude, awesome show, man. Dude, that six-pack, we're going to have to do that again. I don't want to call you out on it. We'll do a 90s version next week. But anyway, uh, share the show on uh, podcast, um, on uh, you know Google Play, iTunes, uh, visit the site, discoverotherliving.com, see what we're doing, um, support the show, pass it around, and we thank you guys for listening. We'll be back next week. God bless.